Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. The Battle of Gettysburg, July 1 through 3rd, 1863, is one of the most obscure events of the Civil War, and one with the least number of books written about it. Wait, that should be, the Battle of Gettysburg is one of the least obscure events with the most books written about it. Just in the category of visitors' guides, new books by Petruzzi and Stanley, and Reardon and Voss have appeared in the last few years to compete with classics like those by Grimsley and Simpson or Luvas and Nelson. Now, Robert Orison and Dan Welch have produced still another Gettysburg Guide. Could it possibly have anything new to offer? The answer is yes. We'll find out what from Dan Welch, co-author of The Last Road North, A Guide to the Gettysburg, Gettysburg Campaign, 1863, Tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you tonight from the Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters Annex on Oxford Road in Greenville, North Carolina, the same town as occupied by East Carolina University, but tonight not speaking from the university and never speaking for the university, always just for myself. Home tonight because of the change in academic schedule, it's easier to do the show from the home base than the office Uh, This semester, we'll see if that continues. It is the first show of 2017. Happy New Year to everyone out there. A uh, a year that, uh, well, we'll see what it brings us. Here at uh, Civil War Talk Radio, I've decided this will be the year of a thousand likes. So I urge everyone to go to Facebook uh, find the Impediments of War page on Facebook 
and like that page, indicating that you like the show or that you've been asked to like the show by someone, me or someone else. And we'll see if we can get the number of likes on Facebook up over a thousand. It's currently at 713, adds one or two every day or so, but we're going to push it up over a thousand in just one year. That's that's the goal, and I know uh, you can can help me accomplish that. Uh, so. What's to like about the show? Uh, many things. Tonight, uh, looking around the room, uh, no dogs. We lost our last dog last year. One uh, insane cat, 19 years old, sleeping next to me on the sofa. And a new headset uh, with which to broadcast to you. A listener sent me a helpful email pointing out uh, that sometimes you can hear me typing if I'm looking up something during the show or just buying stuff on Amazon. Uh and it drowns out the, the sound of the person, uh, of the guest, who we all tuned in to hear. So I promise to be more careful about the typing during the show, and hopefully the new headset will also bring us better sound in the year ahead. It is, uh, as I said, a new semester. No classes this past Monday here at East Carolina University because of our first and probably only snowfall of the year, something that always brings great turmoil to North Carolina. I hope wherever you are, the weather has been treating you uh, adequately. No no major freak storms, wherever you may be. During the extra day of leisure, I, I turned to some leisure non-Civil War reading and was, was reading a book about the peopling of North America at the end of the last ice age. Very interesting to see how people in other social sciences get their work done. Uh, and it was pretty disconcerting to read about the rapid climate change that went in various directions and uh, caused uh, possibly the extinction of many uh, species of large mammals. And uh, I'm not saying that I understand what's happening with the climate today, but I've started stocking up on Clovis points uh, here at Civil War Talk Radio just in case uh, the climate does change again. I want to be ready for that. It is uh, a new year, time to greet once again our new colleagues on the Civil War Talk Radio Network, 91.7 FM, SBB Radio, streaming and low-power FM from Claxton, Tennessee, also serving the communities of East Oak Ridge, South Clinton, and North Powell. I still get a kick out of that. And one more item of business before uh, letting you know who's coming up and talking to our guest is to say thank you for those who donated uh, on behalf of uh, our late friend David Long, Professor Long, author of uh, The Jewel of Liberty, the the standard work on the re-election of Abraham Lincoln in uh, 1864, Uh, a, a stock of copies of that book came uh, into my possession, and in discussion with the person who gave them to me, we decided a good way to uh, honor David would be to give them to you when you send $25 to Civil War Talk Radio. I'll turn around and donate that money to Civil War Trust in one big lump sum and send you a copy of David's book so everybody gets something out of it. I did, in fact, make a donation to Civil War Trust at the end of the year in 2016 for those who've already uh, sent in contribution. 
uh, and gotten a copy of the book. But there are copies remaining, so if you're interested, please do uh, go to impedimentsofwar.org on the web, find the PayPal button, uh, contribute $25 or more to uh, civilwartr at aol.com, and I'll send you a copy of David's book as a thank you for contributing to the cause. If you still have money left over, don't forget to sign up for the Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours trip, This Hallowed Ground, from May 20th to the 28th this year. We're going to once again visit sites, Civil War sites across Virginia, uh, across Pennsylvania and Maryland. Tonight's book will be a useful book for anyone going on the tour. I know I'm going to find it useful just making my way up there. Go for that to Stephen Ambrose Tours, all one word, dot com, and find out more about it. And we've got some good shows coming up in the meantime. Uh, next week, Pamela Toller will be with us to discuss her book, uh, The Heroines of Mercy Street, The Real Nurses of the Civil War. And then on the 25th, Matt Hulbert, who has been on the show before, comes back. He has a new book, The Ghosts of Guerrilla Memory how Civil War bushwhackers became gunslingers in the American West. I'm certainly curious about that one. I've gotten a number of good suggestions from you, uh, of, from various listeners over the last several weeks for future guests. Please uh, keep sending those in. I'm working on lining them up. I've got a good half a dozen people uh, in the mix for the month of February, March, uh, working on into April and just trying to decide who goes in what order and get everybody squared away. But some really interesting new material is coming out uh, every week, it seems, and it's always fun to read the books, talk about them, and and get your suggestions for uh, other guests who don't have to be authors, uh, working on uh, uh, some guests who have done things other than write books about the Civil War. But uh, anything related to the topic will do fine. And uh, finally, one last point about impedimentsofwar.org, where Mark Gaffney tells us what's happening on Civil War Talk Radio. If you buy books by going to his website first and then go to Amazon, that sends some click-through funds his way to help keep the website thriving, uh, so please consider doing that. And especially if you subscribe to uh, magazines through the impediments of war website uh, the civil war monitor for example that really helps out our site so please consider doing that no matter how you spend your money on civil war talk radio it's not tax deductible don't want to start off the year by committing a felony so i remind you uh, this is not a scam this is an open appeal uh, with no pretense of tax deductibility well let's move back to 1863, as pointed out in the introduction, uh, few battles of the Civil War have attracted more attention than Gettysburg. No battles, I would say. The number of books continues to grow. Some are brilliant. Some are uh, stand the test of time, like Edward Coddington's classic. Some are controversial, like uh, Alan Gelzo's uh, recent book. Some are completely bogus. I won't name any names. And then, uh, it, and some are very useful. There have been some excellent new guidebooks I, again, mentioned at the top of the show. 
Now we have another new guidebook, and the, the question we'll have to put to the author uh, or co-author is, is what another Gettysburg guidebook? It's called The Last Road North, A Guide to the Gettysburg Campaign, 1863, and it's written by Robert Orison and Dan Welch. Dan Welch joins us tonight on the show. Mr. Welch, are you there? I am indeed, Jerry. Thank you for having me this evening. Well, thank you for uh, joining me. I'm glad to, to have you here. Uh, but let's not waste any time. What what are we doing with another Gettysburg guidebook? That seems to be one of the, the more popular questions these days. And uh, <laughs> as you mentioned uh, just moments ago with the, the number of books on the, the Battle of Gettysburg itself. Um, but I think the, the real uh, positive, the real difference to this, this new uh, guidebook is that it is going to take people uh, of all interests, whether it be from the enthusiast to the historian to the academic um, to the person that's just getting interested in the Civil War. It's going to take them to places they've probably not heard of, probably has not been to before, and give them that connection to perhaps one of the most famous battles, in not only Civil War history, but American history as well. So how... Tell me a little bit about your yourself and your your background. How did you come to write this book, or before that, how did you become interested in the Civil War as a topic? Yeah, I think I share a, a, a very similar story with with many uh, of the listeners and 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 those historians in the field. Uh, when I was five years old, uh, my father took me to none other than Gettysburg. It was the same age that his father had taken him to Gettysburg and, and his father before that. And a five-year-old with a uh, reproduction kepi and a cap uh, musket and Gettysburg battlefield inspired a passion. And, you know, every year after that, when the question came, where do you want to go on vacation this year? The answer was always, I want to go to Gettysburg. And, uh, you know, it developed a passion for lifelong learning about our history and the American Civil War and this particular uh, turning point uh, during that monumentous period in our history. Uh, so that kind of got me through in those formative years, and uh, I drifted away from history for a while. I found uh, the guitar and garage bands and girls, and uh, uh, but it was a, a final trip before I went away to college and my undergraduate with the family going back to my roots to Gettysburg that, that rekindled uh, rekindled that interest in history. So I found myself attending music school while at the same time in every waking moment uh, studying about the American Civil War and the Battle of Gettysburg and all things American history and um, decided that after I got through that, that program that I needed to, to continue that journey. It's opened many, many doors and many experiences uh, since then. Do you keep up with the music? Do you still play? I do. I do. Um, I've been very, very uh, blessed that I've been able to pursue both passions in my life, not only uh, the American Civil War and American history, but also that of music education. And so I'm currently uh, teaching music here in Northeast Ohio uh, from September through May. And then in the summertime, it's very privileged to be a National Park Service interpretive ranger at Gettysburg National Military Park. No, that that is uh, uh, combines two really, really great things to be passionate about. Uh, how did how does one get the uh, the the ranger position, seasonal ranger or interpretive ranger position? 
Well, you know, it's a, a different path for everyone. My story was uh, I was making my way through music school, and um, one of the challenges of music school is you spend a lot of time in, in roughly a little, you know, five-by-five closet known as a practice room and, and you know, practicing, practicing, practicing. Um, and it got a little tedious, and I came across an opportunity to get away from music for a little while and study uh, under the tutelage of Alan Gelzo. And uh, while I was studying with, uh, with him at Gettysburg College, I took an internship uh, at Gettysburg National Military Park and um, worked very, very hard during the internship. And several years later, I, I got a call from my former supervisor and said, what do you think about uh, coming back and, and joining our uh, summer ranger staff, giving interpretive programs out on the battlefield? And it was uh, honestly a, a not only a privilege, but a, a dream come true for me, and, and I've been doing that ever since. Wow. Well, that, that is a, a great story. It's always good when one finds a way to pursue uh, pursue a passion and also uh, make it part of their, their daily life. I, I want to ask... Uh, before talking about your book, uh, The Last Road North, I have a question about Gettysburg itself and the topic that came up in the last show of 2016 when uh, uh, Professor Taya Miles of the University of Michigan was on the show. Uh, she's written about ghost tours in historical places and, and mentioned attending a seminar at Gettysburg, and there are a lot of those there. So I'm curious to get your take on that, but first we're going to take a short break. We will come back in just a moment and talk with our guest tonight, Dan Welch, co-author of The Last Road North, The Guide to the Gettysburg Campaign, 1863. My name is Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P R O 
K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Dan Welch, co-author of The Last Road North, A Guide to the Gettysburg Campaign, 1863. It is not a book about ghosts at Gettysburg. I want to be clear about that. Listeners aren't misled. But, Dan, I'm curious about your take on that as somebody who spends time in Gettysburg. What's with all the ghost tours? You know, it's it's been a... Um I think an industry that has grown by leaps and bounds over the past 20, 25 years. Um, you know, it seems that there was no ghost in Gettysburg until the first ghost of Gettysburg books were written and first tours were developed. And, and now uh, as you visit Gettysburg and, and walk down any of the, the historic roads in town, uh, you can take your pick of, of any uh, multitude of, of ghostly uh, offerings. You know, I think one of the things that it represents, however, is a desire for those visiting this place to, you know, further connect, uh, connect to this historical event. And those looking for, um, you know, a pastime of a good story and a good storyteller. Um, so uh, it's not unusual to, to be able then to identify with someone that's looking for a good story and, and someone to be able to want to further connect to that story. We'd like to see them out on the battlefield more, uh, certainly, um, but um, it's completely understandable with that interest. Um, I will say, however, that, that it is beginning to grow uh, beyond Gettysburg. I have visited other Civil War towns and Civil War sites um, within the last several years that now have their own line of ghost tours, uh, Fredericksburg and Harper's Ferry, uh, to name a few where that industry has expanded to. Has you ever gone on a ghost tour? You know, I can, I can say that I did. Um, when I was very, very young, it was one of those things, uh, a family-friendly um, thing to do after hours in the dark. Uh, my family took me on it, and You know, I really don't remember much uh, other than uh, some of the sights in town and and the idea of walking through this this historic town and in the the after uh, after dark hours. Well, just a a personal curiosity there, and it is interesting to see how that's expanding. Now, the tour that you uh, and and Robert Orison provide in the Last Road North is not a ghost tour, but... Uh, looks at the campaign, and in that sense, really does differ from any other Gettysburg guide that I'm familiar with. Uh, it's a really a driving tour. I think you say the average. Well, there are a series of tours, and they're uh, they're they're over 100 miles long. It's not a walking tour by any means. Uh, tell us a little bit about the what these tours are. Where where do they go? Yeah, the way the book is organized is it really is going to let you kind of choose your own adventure, if you will. Uh, there's five chapters uh, or five different driving tours, if you will, or I should say four driving tours. The first one follows the advance of the Confederate Army. Uh, we picked up the Confederate Army following their victory of Chancellorsville, and we find them in their defensive positions following that battle around the Chancellorsville battlefield and, and previous Fredericksburg battlefield, and we followed them from there all the way through the Shenandoah Valley into Maryland, uh, into Pennsylvania, uh, as far north as such places as, as Carlisle, Pennsylvania, 
the outskirts of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and then ultimately to Gettysburg. Uh, The second driving tour, the second uh, route that you can follow is the Union Army. Follow them as they, you know, cat and mouse with the Confederate Army northward across Virginia and the Maryland, and eventually Pennsylvania. Uh, Perhaps one of the most uh, famous parts of the Gettysburg campaign is that of Jeb Stewart's uh, ride around the Union Army. And you can do that. That's another option that you can follow Jeb Stewart and his cavalry troopers, um, not only what they were up to in the early days of the campaign, but once uh, Stewart makes that decision to ride around the Union Army yet again, you can follow him on that route all the way to Gettysburg and what his men will do once they arrive to Gettysburg uh, east of town on July 3rd of 1863. There's a very, very short chapter uh, on the battle itself to kind of give you a, a little review of the events of July 2nd, uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, 1863, if you really needed that. And then the last driving tour of the book, uh, the last chapter, is following these two armies after the Battle of Gettysburg is over, following them back through Maryland and down into Virginia. So how how did you plan these uh I'm curious about the process. Uh, obviously, you could, you know, you find out where Lee's army is in May of 1863, down by Fredericksburg. Then you just drive along with with a copy of the official records in one hand, and uh, how, how does that work? Yeah, uh, so the official records really came in handy, and it was basically taking a very large map of Virginia, Maryland, and and, uh, central Pennsylvania, and going through the official records and charting where these individual corps, where these individual divisions, uh, where these units moved as they made their way northward and then back again following the battle. Um, Once I had done that, I I talked, uh, convinced my co-author, a longtime friend of mine, Robert Orison, a longtime native of, of northern Virginia, uh, to go out and help me find some of these roads. You know, do these ro- some of these roads they took still exist? Um, what are some of the places along the way, some of the other historic sites that would have witnessed these armies pass by or camp on those properties or have some sort of, of meaningful moment during the campaign at these particular locations? And, and Rob was gracious enough to join me in that endeavor and and it was many hours in the car driving uh, these these roads, as many historic roads as we could, uh, to follow these armies throughout the campaign. So, a listener who has this book in hand will find, you know, careful directions: how you go 0.9 miles, take a left, uh, watch for the sign here, turn right, look for a Civil War trails marker. Uh, so, you tell them where to go. You've got GPS coordinates for for each stop, so they can make sure they're finding a way there, use their own uh, devices to do it. But what I found really interesting about this is the sense of, uh, uh, it's not like being at Gettysburg where you're you're one of thousands of visitors on any uh, particular day seeing the same sites. I think many listeners, if if they have the opportunity uh, to, to be near Civil War battlefield sites have probably done this, uh, where you drive by yourself from from one place to another, so you're not real. You're not on the battlefield. You're in the real world. You're you're going past Walmart and gas stations and McDonald's, 
and then you follow the directions and turn right into a parking lot. And now you're back in 1863 for a moment. Uh, read the guidebook, see what happened here, reorient yourself to where Lee's troops are, where Hooker's troops are at this moment, what Stewart is doing, what Pleasanton is doing. Then you get back in your car, go to the next one. You're Again, you're back in the 21st century. Uh, what... what I'm not sure. That's more of an observation than a question. But did you find that same kind of uh, sort of back and forth sense of being in two centuries at the same time? You know, I think as you make your way um, further north, in particular areas in Virginia and Maryland, um, absolutely. Um, you know, to, to point out one part during Stewart's ride, as you make your way in and around the Rockville, Maryland area. And for those familiar with Stewart's Ride, this is where he will capture a large number of federal uh, wagons just laden with supplies. Um, it is, you know, 90% 21st century modern. Uh, we even have some, some caution in, in that part of the, the, the book and in that chapter. You're going to hit heavy traffic. Um, you're not going to be seeing what, Stewart saw 100% in June of 1863. Um, but one of the things that um, contrasts that, however, is if you follow Stewart a little bit earlier and you're driving through the Loudoun Valley and you're following Stewart in those cavalry fights at Aldi, Middleburg, and Upperville and seeing some of these pristine uh, battlefields from the Gettysburg campaign and, and being able to stop in Ashby's Gap and look out over the Loudoun Valley uh, where these battles had just occurred and, and look off to the west and see what, what Stuart was protecting with Lee's army moving northwards uh, in the valley behind him. Uh, so you really do have that, that juxtaposition. At times there are countless stops and, and hours of driving where um, the 21st century modern intrusions are limited. But at the same point in time, you will have those areas that, that they are not, and, and those areas have been lost to history. But I think what the driving will do, whether you're seeing the McDonald's or you're seeing the pristine battlefield, is it will get readers an understanding and a perspective of just how large uh, this campaign was, uh, just how many miles these men moved between June 3rd of 1863, the opening of the campaign, and the ending of the campaign on July 14th of 1863. It, it is something when you read uh, these, these troops making my, marches in a single day of 20 uh, or even 30 miles or more. Uh, you know, in a car, 30 miles is not nothing in a car. It's still uh, it's, it's a decent drive. But they're doing it on foot. They're going, uh, uh, and they're covering these huge distances, as you point out. One of the things that, uh, as I was reading, again, thinking about places I had seen, uh, having gone back and forth across Virginia a number of times in the last dozen years, that in many ways, preservation is improving at some of these places. Uh, you have a photograph of Lee's headquarters, and just in the last few months, uh, uh, well, I guess last year now, uh, uh, Lee's headquarters at Gettysburg has, has come into the hands of the Civil War Trust, and they've they've removed the 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 hotel that grew up around it, uh, or or Fleetwood Hill at uh, Brandy Station, another example that even a few years ago it had private housing on it, and now it's back to its original state. Uh, 
did you find other examples of, of preservation taking place where you in these tours? Yes, absolutely. Um, there are many places just within the last year or within the last five years that previously had not had the level of attention or preservation that they currently do. Um, to give you one example, my co-author, uh, Robert Orson, is uh, a supervisor at historic sites for Prince William County, Virginia. In Prince William County, Virginia, actually, uh, and Rob administers uh, two Civil War battlefields, uh, Kettle Run, which is the opening kickoff to the Battle of, of Second Manassas or Second Bull Run, and Bristow Station, which is the first real significant engagement following Gettysburg in uh, the east in the fall of 1863. Um, these are places within the last five or ten years that have um, really worked towards preserving uh, these uh, these places, this hollowed ground, these historic uh, locations for future generations. Uh, another such example uh, is uh, in the Loudoun Valley itself, uh, talking about um, the fighting around the Middleburg area. Um, Mount Defiance is another area that's really starting to, to preserve the ground in that area and the Calvary actions uh, in and around a building that still stands, the blacksmith shop, a portion of the original road um, that still stands in front of the, the blacksmith shop. So not only within the last couple of years, but in the coming months and years into uh, the future, these places are working very diligently uh, to preserve these uh, hollowed ground. And one of the things that we wanted to make sure we included were these sites to get people there uh, so they can see the importance of these uh, places firsthand and how they relate to the larger story that is Gettysburg. And what we're all ultimately wanting to, uh, to come from that is to create stewards. We want stewards of these places to recognize their importance and to help that preservation fight for years to come. You know, there's a, a moment in the, the life cycle of a preserved site where... If it's very successful and you get a museum going and everything, then you get lots of visitors. Uh, if when you have nothing there, just a gas station parking lot, there's no one. But you mentioned Bristow Station. I had the opportunity to visit it last summer, and it was a rainy afternoon. And I, literally, there was no one else up on the hill when I was there. And to see these sites and be the only person on the battlefield. Uh, you can go to Brandy Station and be the only person there uh, and really imagine no monuments, no tourists, there's nobody else there to get in the way of the mind's eye and, and, and really see, you know, imagine what it must have been like. So, uh, And, and your, I, your, your book is filled with places like that. Absolutely, and I, and I couldn't agree more uh, in that sentiment, that I think one of the things that readers of this book, if they take it out and go to these places on the driving tour um, that have been to Gettysburg before and have been on the, the busy tour roads surrounded by the uh, hundreds of monuments and, and, and thousands of visitors, um, I think that stark contrast of being in a place such as Goose Creek Bridge, where uh, Colonel Strong Vincent's brigade first sees action during the Gettysburg campaign and being the only one there and being able to place them there in action in the mind's eye will be a really special moment for um, 
breeders that haven't gone to those places or haven't associated those places with the larger story of Gettysburg. The uh, Let me ask you uh, a question to uh, think about uh, for the next break. Uh, well, no, let me go. Oh, there's so many good questions to ask here. Uh, the one of the things that this book does by showing how the campaign unfolded uh, is shows that that Lee's army, uh, Early's division, marches through Gettysburg before July one, uh, through and back again. So before Heath's men even approach there on July first, if there ever was anything worth t- taking uh, in that town, Confederates have already already been there and taken it. Uh, and yet, as you point out, uh, you can still find old books and even uh, uh, old readers who repeat the story about uh, Confederates are looking for shoes in Gettysburg. Uh, is that story ever going to go away? I don't think so. I think it is, it's ingrained in the historiography and the mythology uh, of the Battle of Gettysburg, and, and it will be up to uh, interpreters and historians for, for generations to come to, to continue to uh, help dispel some of that myth. It's uh, it, you can't replace a, a myth with the truth. You can only replace it with a better myth. That is uh, that's not an original statement. I've forgotten which public historian said that, but uh, uh, eventually we'll get people thinking of something different. Well, now we will take a short break. I'll come back and ask you uh, your f- most surprising thing you found as you were putting this book together. Give you a moment to think about that, and we'll take a short break. This is Civil War Talk Radio. We're talking tonight with Dan Welch, co-author of The Last Road North, A Guide to the Gettysburg Campaign, 1863. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G 
at ecu.edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Dan Welch, co-author of The Last Road North, A Guide to the Gettysburg Campaign, 1863. It is a fascinating guidebook, not to the Battle of Gettysburg, which you all know so much already, but the weeks leading up to the battle, the marches of the Confederates through the Shenandoah Valley into Maryland and Pennsylvania, the march of the Army of the Potomac through Northern Virginia in pursuit, and following the places they went to and the engagements they uh, participated in as they went. It was not simply uh, marching, but fighting as they went. And as we left for the break, I asked Dan this question, uh, what surprised you as, as you were researching this book? What what did you come across you didn't expect to find? You know, I think it, it comes down to uh, connections. Connections um, that the Gettysburg campaign, the, the larger story of Gettysburg, had with other moments uh, of the American Civil War to that point. And I think for me, one of the meaningful ones was a connection, a, a surprise, I should say, to uh, none other than Dangerfield Newby. Dangerfield Newby was one of the raiders that uh, went to Harper's Ferry with John Brown. Uh, His wife was a slave in Prince William County. He was hoping that this raid would would help to to free her. Uh, And he was actually one of the first raiders that was killed uh, during Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry. And, you know, despite this, this moment, this large, impactful moment, um, in the course of events leading up to the American Civil War, by the time we get to, to 1861 and 1862, as the war keeps up, there's so many other events that are taking place um, that's not necessary that the raid is completely forgotten, that John Brown is completely forgotten, as, as we're singing songs such as you know John Brown's body, um, but that the Battle of Gettysburg and, and the Gettysburg Campaign has this tie to this event that, that helped put our country on this path. Uh, the Confederate Army, an advanced portion of the Confederate Army, General Robert Rhodes's division, um, is going to march through a small crossroads known as Newby's Crossroads. And it was named after the Newby family. Um, and not only is the crossroads still there, but the home of the Newby family still stands as well. And you can make your way on the roads that that the General Rhodes' men marched on through Newby's Crossroads today in 2016 and get a look at not only what Confederate soldiers saw in June of 1863 on one of these crossroad towns as they made their way north, um, but also to have that connection to uh, another important event on the road to Civil War. Wow. It it is, when the name popped up in the book, it, it rang a bell. I was thinking, who is that guy? And of course, then you tell the story of who he was. You mentioned 2016. It's already 2017. History marches on. Uh, it does indeed. Uh, there was interesting, uh, interesting things to see. Uh, some of the things that you describe, as you point out, are, are houses that were still there, uh, that are still there, that, that were there at the time. Some are. Uh, are, are not, some are just monuments, some are private property, you can't really go up to knock on the door of these houses, obviously. Uh, what what uh, 
and then some are spectacular. Uh, uh, Chatham, the the house at, at Fredericksburg that the National Park Service uh, maintains is one you can go into and, and look at. Uh, that's a big plantation house. Were there any other big dramatic uh, uh, things to see? Uh, if you're taking someone who's not a Civil War buff who will not, not be moved by a plaque uh, in a parking lot. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a couple that really just, just stand out. Uh, Prospect Hall in Frederick, Maryland is the site where uh, General Meade takes command of the Union Army on June 28, 1863. It's just an unbelievable uh, example of 19th century architecture. Uh, just absolutely gorgeous. The grounds are beautiful. Uh, and it's kind of, again, getting back to that juxtaposition, uh, you know, all the traffic of, of an area such as Frederick, Maryland, but you get back on the campus and you see something like Prospect Hall. We're not far down the road, um, a place known as uh, Rose Hill Manor, which is uh, a site where a large number of federal artillery and the artillery reserve uh, took a respite from the march northward and, and went into park there, uh, a home that is that is still standing, and you can go through and, and, and get a history of the ground and, and this, uh, the owners of that property. Um, another one that would be, you know, really stand out in my mind for someone of interest in Civil War history or just, just the person that's along for the ride in the car is Catoctin Furness. Uh, also in Maryland on the uh, route of the advance of the Union Army um, to stop and see some of these buildings and ruins that still stand uh, from a time when uh, the furnace is, is still going full steam 24 hours a day as the Union soldiers are, are making their way northward and into Pennsylvania and to Gettysburg, helping to produce vital materials, uh, metals for the Union war effort. Um, you know, if you continue with that same vein and continue to move northwards, um, stopping in Emmitsburg and seeing um, the site of another Union encampment uh, uh, where these uh, Union soldiers are going to stop on the grounds of a large convent uh, there in Emmitsburg, which is still uh, going strong today. And it's, it's some of these, these nuns from this convent will make their way from Emmitsburg to Gettysburg and act as as nurses to the, the thousands of wounded after the battle. So, you know, I think there's a, a great mix in the book uh, and in the driving tours uh, that will, will be for those hardcore civil warriors where it's going to be a plaque in a empty field or a vacant lot uh, that will inspire their imagination. But there's also things, I think, for the person that may be along for the ride or maybe the casual uh, civil war student uh, every now and then that will also be of interest to them as well. You describe in the book how the Union Army, uh, Army of the Potomac crossed the Potomac River uh, at Edwards Ferry. They built uh, bridges there. But today, uh, the temporary pontoon bridges, which of course are not there. Uh, and you say today there's still a ferry that crosses the river there. Uh, I've always been curious about that, but never used it to, it is actually a, a working ferry. How does how does it work? Yeah, there's still a working ferry that you can take across the Potomac. Uh, you drive up to the ferry, you pay your your toll, and uh, you get your car onto the ferry, and they take you across the Potomac. And uh, 
you continue on your way, and it's it's one of the ways that uh, you can experience uh, the advance of the Union Army uh, in the in the driving tour itself. Or we'll send you uh, alternative directions to to get you across the Potomac River. But um, you know, one of the things that that points out is just how important geography and terrain affect uh, the campaign. Uh, not only the Gettysburg campaign, but but military tactics and strategy. And, and getting across the Potomac River was a challenge for both uh, for both the Union and the Confederate armies on their way to Pennsylvania and on their way back from the Battle of Gettysburg. Speaking of the way back, the last chapter of your book is about the retreat from Gettysburg. You, you say in the book that this is the part of the battle that's less written about than any other, why do you suppose that is so? You know, I think for both historians and enthusiasts alike and, and, and Civil War scholars, we, we tend to focus so much on these individual battles. Um, you know, when it comes to Gettysburg, uh, you know, hundreds if not thousands of books have been written on July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd uh, from absolutely every perspective and angle and detail. But not only at Gettysburg, but other battles, we tend to skip through what got these armies here and where they go afterwards. And I think in the case of Gettysburg, so much focus comes on July 1st through 3rd that after Pickett's Charge is over, after the Battle of Gettysburg is over, uh, the Civil War student, the Civil War scholar, the historian will skip to the next big important event, Grant comes east, and we start this campaign in the spring of 1864. Um, and I think many, if not all, the Civil War battles uh, are a fall victim to not having enough in-depth scholarship on what happens before and after. And I think with Gettysburg, um, the retreat suffers because it's this huge buildup. All these things that have happened over the month of June, and, and we get into July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, and we have this climactic uh, charge by Pickett and, and Pettigrew and Trimble's men on the afternoon of July 3rd, and that's it, and it's, it's, it's over. This battle is over. It has been a Confederate defeat, um, and the story is maybe not as attractive as it was 24 and 48 and 72 hours uh, in, in that historical moment earlier. But I think what is so important about the retreat and the events after July, the afternoon of July 3rd, 1863, is not only um, do we need to recognize the true cost of what these these engagements and these battles uh, incur in terms of casualties and uh, destruction and um, the idea of, of, of the community uh, that these battles take place near, but also... Uh, the, the time that the armies need to build, uh, to rebuild after these significant engagements. And even on the smaller level with that is, you know, what are these men in the ranks thinking about as they're, they're marching back after a defeat or a victory? Uh, what's it like to finally go into a permanent camp after this extended campaign? Surely you're exhausted. You're probably thinking about those that you've left behind in Maryland and Pennsylvania. Um, so there's a lot of sobering moments to think about in the retreat. And, and I think it'll lead to, um, you know, uh, some of that historical, um, uh, historical absence 
uh, in not only the historiography, but in the want to study that, 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 that those 11, 12 days after the Battle of Gettysburg's over. Well, and that story, I suppose, as you point out with the, the wounded, the sheer amount of human misery, it, it, it does become less appealing in some ways to, to spend one's time learning about it. But there are some very dramatic stories uh, within the retreat that, that you talk about, and they're uh, on a, a much smaller scale. Uh, individuals or small units really matter uh, at some of these places, and, and you can go see where they happened. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one you know, one example is when Lee is pulling his army out of Gettysburg is this immense wagon train of wounded soldiers. Um, can you imagine being a wounded soldier um, sustaining some sort of wound inflicted by these large caliber lead bullets and being placed in a wagon train in the pouring rain that, that doesn't have any creature comfort? Uh, you're soaking wet, you're bleeding, um, and these, these wagons have no shocks or springs in these muddy roads, and it's, it's day after day after day in this retreat. Uh, and this wagon train finally gets to the Potomac River, and the river's flooded, and their way across the river is blocked. Um, and now they're in a situation where federal cavalry have, have arrived, and they're threatening an attack. And now here you are, you've participated in this massive campaign, you've gone into battle, you've been wounded, and you have uh, the officer in charge of the wagon train getting you out of the wagon and saying, here's a rifle, here's some ammunition, you're walking wounded, but you've got to defend this position. Um, and there's so many of those little moments, as you point out, in the retreat driving tour, uh, although on a smaller scale, no less important to the overall campaign. So with just a short time left in, uh, this evening, are you working on any additional works, anything following up this uh uh, what, what's your current uh, project, if any? I actually have a, a couple irons in the fire, as they say right now. Um, one of the things that I've spent a lot of time on as a supplement to this campaign is examining the way that morale changes within the ranks of an army during an extended time period. We often... Mm-hmm very uh, briefly discuss the importance of morale on, on the soldiers. Uh, well, if they had bad morale, they probably won't perform as well. Uh, or if they had good morale, maybe they'll perform better on the field of battle. And we stopped there. And there hasn't really been any in-depth study of how morale changes and what impacts morale through uh, a significant campaign, such as the Gettysburg campaign. So one of the things that I'm working on right now is following the state of morale in the ranks of the Army of the Potomac from June 3rd to July 14th of 1863. Um, at the same point in time, uh, another Gettysburg-related uh, iron in the fire is, is in this series, the Emerging Civil War series, taking a look at the aftermath uh, at uh, the Gettysburg battlefield, uh, the weeks, months, and years um, that it'll take for this community to come, to be able to rebuild uh, the creation of the National Cemetery, Lincoln's visit, and uh, eventually the creation of Gettysburg National Military Park and the preservation uh, of the battlefield itself. So those, those are, are two very, very interesting 
I'd say two very interesting projects. Unfortunately, we're out of time tonight, so we'll have to come back and learn more about them as they come to fruition. Uh, and if they are as interesting as this one, all our listeners will want to get them. As listeners, I know you'll want to get a copy of The Last Road North by Robert Orison and Dan Welch, A Guide to the Gettysburg Campaign of 1863. Dan, thanks so much for being on the show tonight. Jerry, thank you so much for having me. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. (laughs) 